Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 93. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, it's been a while since I've gone long on an episode, but this one we go long. This is like an hour 15. But it's funny, as I was doing the interview and as I was going through it again, getting it prepped for what you're about to hear right now, it didn't feel long. It really just sort of flew by. And that's a testament to this week's guest. It's Bree Davies, who's a columnist for The Westward. And she's one of the most just sort of right off the bat interesting people I know. She's very opinionated. If you follow her on social media, she's very sort of out front in the way that she presents herself. You get a good sense of who Bree is right off the bat. And so it was easy to jump in with her and talk about anything because if you know her writing, you know she's willing to discuss any issue of importance And it's almost with an attitude of, hey, you know what? I care about this. Let's talk about it. And damn it, maybe we'll all learn something. And God forbid we live that way, right? God forbid we all learn something. God forbid we all become a little bit better through dialogue. And that's what Bree is all about. I mean, we cover a lot of stuff. We cover what it's like to be a journalist. We cover issues of plagiarism that she deals with. We talk about how Denver continues to change. We talk about transgender issues. I mean, there's just a lot here. And we're both Denver natives. Well, I mean, I'm not technically a Denver native. I grew up in Golden, so, you know, I'm on the west side of town. But but I live here now, and I've always cared about the city. I've cared about issues that pertain to the city. So to be able to talk about that with someone who is as engaged as she is, it's great. We also talk about PR. We talk about media pitching. We talk about, hey, if you have something that you want someone to write about, here's how not to be a jackass, and here's a better way to approach it. So... If that's of interest to you, this will be an enormously enlightening episode. Before we get there, I have a couple of plugs. The first one is obviously for our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They've been with us through every episode, and their work is just exceptional. So I don't mind telling you this every episode, because if you are looking to do something online, if you have a product to sell, or you have a campaign to run, or you need to get people engaged... Four Degrees is the best way to do it, and it takes a long time to sort of get that in your head sometimes. They are specialists at targeting online campaigns. They listen. They understand. They know. They're always learning. It's a great firm to work for. Zach was guest on episode nine of the podcast. You should go back and listen to that and talk about how he founded it, and then you should hit them up. So here's their website again. Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E. The second plug is for another Denver-based podcast that I love to give a shout-out to. We were both finalists for Westward's Best of Denver Awards, Reader's Choice. And the podcast is Changing Denver. That's what it's called. And Changing Denver is a podcast about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. And you know what? Rather than me yak about it, here's host Paul Caroli talking about it himself. Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com 
and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. So, always happy to give some love to a fellow Denver podcast. Make sure to check out Changing Denver. Another podcast is Welcome to Rock Island. You know who hosts that? Bree Davies, her co-host Issa Jones. Bree Davies is on my podcast this week. And you know what? Let's get to it. Here's episode 93 of the John of All Trades podcast with our guest Bree Davies. Starts right now. Is it between Jay's Noodles, my favorite Thai restaurant, okay. and formerly Fadui, which is now in the old KFC or whatever that's right next to it? But Lowing is one I've never been to because it's never open when we are <laughs> <laughs> when we're over in that shop at. Yeah, it keeps like it keeps really weird hours, and the reason I know it is because Caution Brewing has the Lowong Lager. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they use the the same spices. Uh, in their lager, and it's crazy good. Really? Yeah, if you pair it with Asian food, it's just outrageous. That's awesome. I'm not a drinker, so right, I right. didn't know that, but I did know that they had a beer, and it's just interesting because it is one of those places that is like never open. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm there, so. Yeah, well, like, I'll, I'll be over in that part of town, I'll be like, oh man, I'd like to go there. And there's either a line, or it's just plain old not open. Yeah, so. yeah. There's a lot of great food on Federal. I feel very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, no, no the joke. Capital of Vietnamese and Thai food, and um, of course, an amazing. We have taco trucks. I told my boyfriend this summer, I was like, we just have to ride our bikes down Federal, not down Federal because it's super not bike friendly, but <laughs> right. you know, like each week, try to try a new taco place because there's a million. Yeah, that sounds all right to me. I love tacos. Yeah, it reminds me of that Simpsons gag where it's like, I would like your <laughs> finest food stuffed with your second finest <laughs> right? food. Uh, very good, sir. The lobster stuffed with tacos. <laughs> That's a thing that could be happening on Federal in some really interesting ways. <laughs> I'll bet like it so much good food. Yeah, no joke. One, one thing I was struck by when you came over, though, you said, because we're over here in Park Hill, and you said it, it didn't take you very long to get here, and it reminded you of old Denver. Right. I always make this joke. I'm going to make an app um, that's called Denver in 15 Minutes. And it's wherever you thought you could get in 15 minutes. And then it tells you the actual time that it takes. Because <laughs> okay. that's like a joke about, because obviously our traffic has increased uh, exponentially quite a bit, yeah. uh, with growth. And so I think sometimes in my brain, I'm still like, oh yeah, I can get, like I live in a neighborhood called Barnum, which is on what my mother says is the other side of I-25, which is very far away from her, but not really. <laughs> um, and so I have to get, you know, I'll have to get from my house to my mom's house, which is behind Cherry Creek. It's kind of in Glendale. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll be like, oh, yeah, 15 minutes, like 45 <laughs> minutes later, even not during traffic time. So right. that's always just my joke is like if you're a person who like lived here 20 years ago and you're like, I can get this is the thing I hear. I can get cross town in 15 minutes. Like you can't. Not anymore. You cannot. Have you lived here your whole life? My whole life. So have I. So, yeah, so you know. Yeah, so where, like, where did you grow up? <laughs> I grew up, um, it's a neighborhood called Virginia Village. It's, do you know where George Washington High School is? Yeah. It's like Southeast Denver. I went to George Washington High School. Okay, so. yeah, down by like, uh, what is that, like Leedsdale? Yep. Or, yeah. Yeah, I live, I lived right off, like, in the neighborhood, um, around Leedsdale. Okay. And so, which is so, uh, sort of hot neighborhood right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, um, it's just kind of a nondescript 50s shoebox post-war right. neighborhood. Well, I grew up in Applewood, 
So like out west of town, like right where Golden and Wheat Ridge and Lakewood all meet. Oh, cool. So sure, sure. Yeah, you know, like where 32nd and Youngfield is? Yeah. I grew up right out there. And so we used to come down into the city. I remember right out there in 6th Avenue West, right before Stevenson started developing it and turning it all into malls and shit. Mm-hmm. You'd look at it and it was just like empty. Right. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, this is fine. And what's weird is when I was growing up, I don't know if you had this feeling at all. I thought Denver was not a cool city. You know, I didn't, I, I would say I honestly just didn't think about it. It just was what it was. Okay. It was where I lived, you know? I mean, yeah, it definitely wasn't like cool, but. <laughs> right. It wasn't like a hip place to come. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, and the reason I thought that is because my whole family was from Chicago. Oh yeah, that's way cooler. And so my, uh, my uncle used to ask my dad things like in the, in the eighties, he would ask him like, can you guys get the Cubs score out there? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck, man? Do you like, <laughs> do you think we're getting our mail delivered by the Pony Express? Right. Like, well, that would be something I think people would, would think because we have this weird wild west, <laughs> right? Pseudo wild west story. where the cows still go down 17th street right. like every January. <laughs> right. But I always thought, I'm like, this is not like, I, this isn't a cool city. Right. We're not, I mean, we weren't, we aren't like a metropolitan. Right. You know, we're not, a, I mean, we're a destination now for multiple reasons, but not compared to Chicago or LA or New York or, you know, right. even Boston or something of that size. It's funny because I've become a person that's extremely excited about the city just through the work that I do as a writer. It, it was never like my calling, you know, necessarily right. to be like, oh, I want to write about why Denver is so great and started as a music critic. That's what I wanted to do when I was a teenager. And that's what I did in my school newspaper. Not very well, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then I sort of it evolved as I started uh, as I began work for Westward because um, how long have you been there? I've been a freelancer there for. I want to say almost seven years. Okay. Nice. And I say freelancer because I'm not like a staff person or anything. I'm sure. kind of invisible like all freelancers are. <laughs> but I have, it gave me this incredible space to talk about whatever I wanted. I'm very lucky. My editor, Patty Calhoun, is extremely open when it comes to, I pitch her a story and she says, okay, like she <laughs> just trusts me to do it, which is invaluable as a writer because it's yeah. also, it's made me sort of bad at pitching other places because I'm so used <laughs> to just being like, Hey, I have this idea that's half formed. And they're like, great, write a story about yeah, it. Go chase it. And 99% of the time it turns out pretty all right. But, um, in, when I came into working at Westward and I had more and more opportunities to talk about the city, I just started talking about it and I have not stopped. Well, sure. I probably won't. Well, no, it, it, and I would say, <laughs> You talk quite a bit about how great Denver is, but you, you spend quite a bit of time talking about the challenges that the city faces as well. Absolutely. I try to, I try to balance it because it's really easy to, to rag on something and say yeah. it sucks. And I didn't even start from a place where saying it sucked. I don't even think Denver sucks. I think right. things that happen here suck. And I think, um, I have a lot of opinions about the leadership in our city, but on the whole, I think Denver is an incredible city and I totally get why people want to move here now. I'm 35. Sure. I get it now, <laughs> you know, right? but I'm a, a lot of it is based on thinking back on growing up here and how easy it was to do whatever you wanted, you know, this hmm. like balance of we're not a big city, like you were saying, but we have enough interest in larger cultural phenomenons that allow us 
or it did allow us to do these things affordably run DIY venues and be the first person that brings this act to town. If you're someone who's trying to like getting into promoting shows or even if you're a D I mean, I was just writing about this last night. I haven't been in a band in like three years, but I'm still pretty involved in the music community. But what's funny is I, people contact me all the time trying to set up shows. They're like, I'm coming through Denver and -and so-and-so said to talk to you. And like, A, I'm not in a band. (laughs) B, I don't work for a venue. It's just, I just happen to know a lot of people that do those things. And so part of that is I became an expert in some sense on certain things because I just was a person that was here doing it. It's not like New York where there's 500 people doing what you're doing, you know? So yeah, I mean, there's, there's space to create, Yeah. but given you mentioned the leadership of this city yeah. and one of the things, one of the sort of running themes is the ongoing gentrification of Denver and, and the loss of, uh, lower income spaces and DIY spaces. Sure. How has that unfolded in your estimation? It's weird. Um, because, and I, I try to steer clear of the word gentrification only because it's really broad and really big, sure. but it's also really polarizing. Like you can say that word and automatically people stop listening. A, either they stop listening right. or B, they want to fight you because they're like, this is how I feel. Okay. You know? So it's a politically charged word. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is part of a process that's happening to our city. It was just the thing that snuck up on us. I, I, I wouldn't say it's unfair of me to characterize it that way necessarily. No, no, no. Right? I'm saying I just, I, I personally steer clear of that word. Understood. Okay. Because perfect. people love, I mean, you hear Bree Davies say gentrification one time and then I'm this like right. anti-growth asshole that everyone hates right. because I have an opinion about money coming into the city. But it's like, it's just so much more complicated. Sure. Like we're losing affordable housing and we're losing low income housing and we're losing transitional housing and we're losing these really valuable things that made Denver so great yeah. 15 years ago. And it wasn't even because it was called affordable housing. It was just affordable. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, it just and was. so that's what I think is, has been really difficult, but I just feel like this growth has sort of snuck up on us in a way that many of us didn't know. I didn't see it coming really, I right. guess. And then all of a sudden things that I cared about were um, shutting down and people that I cared about were losing their apartments. And, yeah. and so, yeah, that is, that's one of our biggest challenges. And the reason that I say that I have issues with leadership in our city is I think our government has much more of an ability to be proactive mm-hmm. in speaking for the people and making room for the people and working with developers and, and all of these people that are bringing money into the city. There's a way to work with them that benefits everybody and it's not happening. So in your estimation, what what would you think, what is a better approach than, than the way things are, are being handled right now? Because I, I'll tell you from my experience, one of the things that is tough you mentioned traffic sure that we're putting in a lot of high density housing without the nece- the necessary parking or right. traffic mitigations right and it's like how are, how is that happening and and what allows that to happen i don't know and i don't know enough about zoning and things of that nature like what's required no you, nor do i you know when you build a 30 unit building i do know that um if you build a place for living like an apartment or condo i know those things are two very different things too when it comes to zoning but if it has right. more than 30 or more units you are required to have 10 percent of that be affordable housing okay or you can buy out of that hmm. and you don't have to provide that i guess the money that 
developers and and um people put into this or like if they pay out if they say i'd rather pay out so i can just keep this luxury building that money i guess goes into a fund that helps first time home buyers which is great sure it's great however it is blatantly not addressing the other issue which is some people aren't a aren't ready to buy some people don't want to buy some people are really in a transitional space where they need an apartment. Right. I mean, I'm a person that doesn't, wouldn't necessarily ever buy something. So that's part of it. The traffic part is weird. I don't know. Again, I don't know a lot about infrastructure. All I know is we have spent a, like the last 25 years being a construction zone on <laughs> I-25. Right. And in all of that time, like when they t- started T-Rex and started tearing up the highway, I don't understand my family. This is like a conspiracy theory my family has. Oh, uh, <laughs> why, why didn't they put in light rail first? And mm. accustom people to using it and then continue on with the highway building. It just seems like we're, it's not our fault necessarily, but we are definitely very behind when it comes to public transit and how many people are here and need it. Because you're right. We don't have park. We don't have adequate parking. We're right. all of a sudden seeing neighborhoods full of cars. I mean, Capitol Hill has always been a nightmare right. for traffic, but now it's like, Unreal. The Highlands is just out of control. Oh, and see, and that's another neighborhood because you're looking at high density housing going in to neighborhoods of single family homes. Right, right. And that is definitely part of growth, but if there should be a responsibility of uh, building that requires some sort of solution to that, right? Instead of just dumping it into a neighborhood. Yeah, it's weird. You know this this town. You, you see articles frequently about how great this town is. You know, we're the number one place to move and all that. And one of the things that's cited is, is great public transportation. I go, are they serious? Right. Like what? Right. I, I, I personally never use public transportation. I don't so, and so I'm like, maybe I'm not the person to, to, to talk to, but my friends right. that do, I would not say on the whole have an a, a amazing experience. It's not like New York or Chicago. Exactly. Or DC. Right. Or, that uh, have incredible transit yeah. systems. Or San Francisco. Or right. Like there, there are any number of cities that I could point to and say, I actually use the public transportation in their city. I love when I can go to a city and I don't have to rent a car. Absolutely. Um, that's really cool. But the hard thing is Denver's laid out in such a way where you go, God, like, how am I going to get there without my car? You know? That's like, part of it. It's just weird. It is. Well, it's just, it's one of, I think, it's one of the things that happens to younger cities like ours that right. really um, have had several booms, as they say, and busts. But one of those things was the proliferation of automobiles. Mm-hmm. I mean, Colfax, the reason Colfax is this influential street in Colorado is because it used to be the way that you got in and out of right. the city. It's 26 miles long. It runs through Aurora, Denver, Lakewood, Golden. I mean, it is this huge thoroughfare. And part of that was made possible by the, the automobile. That's yeah. why people are like, why are there so many seedy motels on Colfax? <laughs> because it used to be when you, you know, it's like getting off the highway. It yeah. was the highway. And before I-25 or as old Denver people call it. The Valley Highway. The Valley High. <laughs> uh, you know, call, call, uh, Colfax was how you got in and out. So I think that that is a bigger, there's a bigger picture here happening, but that's one of those things is like, we really came to be in a time of cars and New York did not and Chicago did not. And, and we didn't do enough planning to say, 
Or, well, I don't know. It's like we also used to have an amazing trolley system, but that went the way of every right. trolley system except for San Francisco's when the automobile was. Yeah, I, I would argue really. that, that the, the problems that we face are not necessarily the fault of anyone in particular. It's just a confluence of, of factors that have us arrived where we are now, where there are times where you look at it and you go, God, this feels intractable. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just so tough. I, I interviewed uh, a guy named Jared Parat who owns the Fast Frame of Lodo store. And one of the things that he talked about was he has a bunch of half-hour parking meters in front of his shop. Because you're coming into the frame store, you're probably not going to be there that long. And they're always, always filled with car-sharing services. (gasps) Oh, which have, if people don't know, car-sharing services have deals with the city that allows you to park them at any meter anytime. Exactly. And so, like, that seems like a great solution. Like, you may not need a car. You can just get in one and drive it for however long. But it's having impacts on businesses downtown from people who come in from outside the city. And so you go, oh, well, okay, that seems like a great solution. But it's having this impact that we didn't understand, too. Right. And it's frustrating. It's really tough. It is. In this edition of car sharing services and Lyft and Uber and all of these things that are supposedly... I guess my issue when it comes to those things is they're great, um, especially, I think, the car sharing services for people that don't have cars. Mm-hmm. But we're also seeing that as a dividing line um, economically. You can't really get uh, a zip car or whatever, a car to, car go, to go in my neighborhood. They don't. Oh, okay. We're not. <laughs> you know, we're not. But what that says to me is we rely a lot on public transportation because our um, – our baseline income is probably more based around that. And so when we put an emphasis on car sharing and these other ways, and we don't focus on what the real issue is, which is a need for public transportation, it doesn't really balance itself out. But I can understand. and But that's with this business owner, it's a whole different situation. That's like going to the city and being like, okay, so what is your solution? Because you yeah. want to support me, right? I'm a local business, yeah. but you're in a deal with this national marketing, this national car company that is now hurting my business. And in Lodo parking is, it's a nightmare. It's it's a nightmare. And it's also crucial to you being a a business. Yeah. Yeah. Especially a business like that where you're, where you actually have like retail facing, you know, you're not having like white collar office workers just park all day. Right. But he did say there are people who they use car to go as their commute and Mm. like, they're basically just getting free parking. I yeah. Mean, kudos well, to them. I mean, they found a crack in the system. Know, and they're like, there's, there's they're making work in any system. Um, but, but it's not solving the problem. Exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not getting to the root of the issue. I I saw I think it was on Facebook recently. Someone called you a boring contrarian. Oh yeah. <laughs> which uh which I, I kind of love it. Yeah, I found that kind of amusing just because that's I that's a very sort of frying pan to the face way of dismissing the work that you do. And I wouldn't characterize it that way. I I love reading your work. Thank you. Because I don't always agree with you. Which is exactly what I want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think about it in a new way. And I, I'm so frustrated by people who, um, and I, I found this quite a bit with, with some of my friends politically, both on the sure. right and the left, <laughs> sure. where they just, they, they get into the echo chamber of people they agree with. Yep. And they never get outside that. And it's easy to get entrenched in your, in your beliefs that way, which is why it's easy to call you a boring contrarian at that Absolutely. point. So I guess my question is, actually, I'm going to do a little bit more preamble. Okay. If you follow you on social media, 
if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, uh, I'm not on Instagram. I don't know if you are. I am, but again, I just take a lot of pictures of my boyfriend and my dog and the city. I try to show people the city. <laughs> um, you seem to live very sort of out front. Like it's very intimate. Like I feel like you can get to know you pretty well in, in a very specific way. Sure. Is that difficult? Does that ever wear on you? Absolutely. I'm an extremely emotional person. Sure. Um, contrary to how I present myself online. Um, and it's funny that it's not ever come to light as much as it has for me in the last three years as I've had a really amazing partner who's like a now a mirror. who's like, hey, right. <laughs> you're freaking out right now. Um, so the way that I approach the work that I do is I'm a journalist and a pundit and a writer. I saw someone the other day say you can't be a you can't be a journalist and a pundit. But Isn't I kind that, of what? feel like I straddle the many lines because I do report, but I also do a lot but of you're opinion. also a columnist. Right. I do opinion pieces and my approach for anything that I'm writing about is I generally want to share either um, something that I see that I think is amazing with people or a person that I meet that I think is amazing that other people should know about, or I'm talking about something that I see that I think is not working or is wrong to some population of the world or whatever. I mean, my, my goal is to not, I'm not an expert on anything. My goal is to get people talking. And like you said, like, I don't always agree with you, which is great. I don't, I don't go out thinking everyone should agree with me. Because why that would be super boring and yeah. detrimental to the world if we all agreed. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it sure. Just, it doesn't make any sense. I want, but I do want people to think. And that's mm-hmm. like what you said is I just want people to think about things that they see every day that they might not think twice about. And the boring contrarian label is really lazy to me. Yes. Because to me, a contrarian is someone that has an idea or decides an opinion just to go against the grain, which I don't intentionally do. Right. But I also don't apologize for because I have, I do have unpopular opinions, but what I've realized is other people share those unpopular opinions right. and then they feel really good that someone else has said what they will never say. Well, it's like, thank God I'm not alone. <laughs> right. Right. Like why? And that's kind of the other way that I approach a lot of things. Like when you say, I, you know, I live pretty publicly, it's like, I try to share my mistakes so other wow. people can say, oh my God, I'm not the only person that right. did that. And it's okay. Like I'm okay with falling down in front of the world in order to get other people to know that I'm, it's part of this thing that I've had as a child, which is I don't like other people to feel embarrassed. It's really hard for me to watch people be embarrassed. Like in movies, I can't, I hate it. I hate So like the whole watching. awkward comedy phase, <laughs> like, like the office doesn't sound like it's your Oh bag. gosh. No, I hate it. I hate that stuff. <laughs> it's not like, it doesn't make me feel good. So I try to give other people the space to not feel embarrassed. I also call people out. I've definitely used my words as weapons before. It's a mm. lesson I've learned. Right. Um, that you don't get to abuse your platform just because you have one. But at the same time, I've created the platform by doing the work that I do. I wasn't given, I was certainly not given anything. Right. You know, I went to school for journalism. I've been writing since I was young. But, um, yeah, I, what you see on the internet is a, is a version of myself. Everyone has that, me. but I would argue right. that the choices that you've made, uh, are different than the choices that the majority of people who, who present themselves online make. Sure. Where you're willing to sort of get out and say, hey, this is me and I fucked up here. And, you know, this is either what I learned from it or this is what happened or this was the re- reaction to it. 
most people I don't think want to put that out there due to shame or embarrassment or, you know, fear of public ridicule or whatever. And the thing that I liken it to is my wife and I, you met my daughter upstairs. Mm -hmm. We went through like two years of infertility Mm. to get her. Mm. And it was really, really hard. Um, It was hard on our marriage. It was hard. Uh, it was expensive. It was there. There was just a lot that went into it. And sure. I go, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to write about this. And I wrote on my blog a whole piece, just a whole series of pieces about the infertility process and what it was like. And the thing that amazed me was people came out of the woodwork talking about, oh, my God, we went through this, too. And it sucks. And I hate it. And it's almost like by making the invitation to, you know, to the world saying, hey, I've gone through this. People go. It, it's like you said, you, you create a safe space for them. Yeah. And that's hugely valuable. Uh, and it, it's something that I wish people would do more because I think it increases all of our empathy. Right. Which is something that is an issue with the internet interaction <laughs> and a loss of, of empathy. Um, cause I, even I myself have seen that I, I'll have a lack of empathy for, for people, but because I'm upset about what they've done. Have you ever read I Wear the Black Hat by, no. by Chuck Klosterman? Oh, no, I haven't. And I used to be a big fan of his. I kind of dropped off his work. but Any reason in particular? I feel like I read something at some point where he just wasn't interested anymore. But right. he is really influential to me as a journalist because I yeah. started reading his work in Spin. And it's very similar. I feel very similar to what he does in that I yeah. incorporate life experience with larger pop culture phenomenons. Oh, yeah. I Well, when I read Sex, Drugs, and po- uh, Cocoa Puffs in, sure. in college... I go, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> he's uh, great. Yeah, his whole thing about he, the essay about Saved by the Bell and the essay about breakfast cereal. Like, I go, it's like things you think about, right? Yeah, but you don't know that you're going to put them in. You could put them into this context where other people <laughs> would be like, I also had that feeling. Yeah, you know? totally. But in I Wear the Black Hat, it's funny because he writes about villains, real and perceived. Mm. So you know, he has he has a whole chapter about LeBron James and Kanye. And he's, you know, he's got a whole chapter about fictional villains and stuff. He thought, am I worried? And I don't want to ruin this for you, but he said, do I empathize with villains because I myself am a villain? Am I a bad guy? And conclusion he comes to is a little bit different than that. But I think if you can have empathy for the villain, if you can sort of someone you perceive as a villain, you go, okay, what is their actual motivation here? Mm -hmm. Like what drives them to do that? It's one of those things where you go, okay, I don't hate them as much anymore. Sure. And, man, given the way we look at our Congress, the way we look at our leadership, it saddens me when everyone is so entrenched and feels like they need to advocate for a policy position and fight for it mm-hmm. instead of getting in and, and learning more about each other and coming to a solution together. And having the faith that maybe we'll agree sometime. Maybe, Which I think yeah. is a huge part of pol- the current political climate is right. we'll never agree, so why are we going to try? Yeah, which is such, that's such a fallacy. It is, but I'm guilty of that myself because I'm such a like, uh, I, I jokingly call myself a single issue voter. All I care about is human rights, but <laughs> you know, it's like single issue, right? You know, just that one thing, humanity is important to me. Um, <laughs> but I do find myself falling into that all the time. Like I, I, I really don't have a lot of empathy and sympathy for people who sexually assault other people, well, for no. instance, but at the same time, I've had experiences in listening to other people talk about their experiences that have made me realize that they aren't all, we aren't all villainous creatures, even if we do something 
really heinous. You know, I don't know. It's, it is difficult, but it is yeah, part of the ex- larger culture. Right. To what extent do those people deserve our humanity and our, our civic Sure. Care? And everyone does initially, right? Well, sure. And to a certain extent, if you've done something horrible, how long do you flagellate someone for that? Right. And that's something I don't have the answer to, but and it's a question I'm interested in exploring. Well, cause the internet's really good at vilifying somebody and throwing them in the garbage. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, the internet's also really good at targeting people. And I mean, it's, it's an extremely volatile environment for something that many people consider to be not real. <laughs> right. You know, like, oh, it's not like when we're talking about um, like uh, online harassment, I don't get harassed very much online. I'm pretty lucky. But when you talk, when I talk to other people that are not sort of involved in the Internet in the capacity that I am, they don't necessarily understand that it, this is extremely detrimental. It's not just like close your computer. It's yeah. done. People seek you out and, you know, harass you and send you weird messages. And like this is all part of this bigger lack of empathy thing in the internet, but part of it is trying to get other people to believe you. Yeah. You know what, what's funny is thinking about this. This is just an odd bit of synchronicity. There was an article in the Westward by uh, a guy named Brian Badsmirowski. Oh, I don't know. And he wrote this article called 10 reasons. The Panthers will smoke the Broncos. And Oh, that's probably why I didn't read it. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know. It was about sports. sports. He's a, he's a transplanted from Massachusetts. And wrote this article, and I didn't think it was particularly well-reasoned or well-articulated. So I wrote on my blog a takedown of it. Uh And I thought, anything that he writes here is fair game. The reasoning, the logic, the words that he uses. I made very clear and very certain not to attack him as a person. That's cool, because that's a hard line for people. It can be. And it's funny, he actually found it. (laughs) And he wrote back to me, and he said, yeah, I saw your article that took down mine, and... He's like, I'd like to say it was nice reading something that was intelligently written because I got a lot of hate mail over this. And, you know, people probably calling him a fag and telling oh, him sh- to, to die and, you know, fuck I, off and I, all, yeah. all that shit, right? <laughs> I, yeah. Do you uh, do you get – because I used to write about pro wrestling on the internet. So I used to get hate mail a lot. Uh, that's <laughs> a very intense community. It can be. Very passionate. <laughs> and if you're pointed in your criticism of certain performers. Oh, yeah. People take that personally. Oh, absolutely. And they, and they come out swinging in your inbox. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of that? It depends. So Westward switched over to a commenting system about a year ago that requires you to log on through Facebook, which okay. made my life infinitely better because (laughs) there was no longer the ability to anonymous anonymously tell brie davies to go die right (laughs) which is fine i'm like please tell me to go die it's really not the end of the world but um i do i'm very consciously not involved in the commentary made to me every once in a while someone will reach out via email but that requires them to Google me, go to my website and see my email, which is on there. It's not super obvious, but it's on there. And that's, yeah, it's like four steps. Right. And there's a reason that it's there. They wanted an instant like connection to me. If you read my stuff on Westward, it links to my Twitter. So you can go there. I don't care. That's it's open. That's the reason that that's there. But, um, I try to really not interact with criticism in the, in the troll arena or even not. Not all commoners are trolls. I'm not going to say that. But I hardly ever have an interaction in a comment section that is either positive or proactive or anything. So I generally tend to steer clear from a lot of that. I engage in conversation on social media. Sure. That's where if you want to talk to me, that's the place to talk to me. 
Um, I would say you engage pretty robustly too. And, <laughs> well, I, it's just like if you're gonna if you want to go, then let's go. You know, <laughs> but if you want to have it, if you have an opinion that um, it's different from mine, I would love to hear it. For instance, on Facebook, I use Facebook a lot as um, a vehicle to get my stories out, obviously, but sure. also to create conversation where I can learn something and maybe write about it. Like a couple of weeks ago, I posted. Uh, I wanted to get this tattoo and it has these lyrics from this breeder song and it, the lyrics are no bye, no aloha. And mm. my sister and I were talking about it and she was like, do you think that aloha is like a word that's been appropriated and it's not like culturally appropriate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah, I think maybe it, it is absolutely, but I don't know because we, it's so used everywhere. So I asked Facebook. And has it been appropriated in a way that's detrimental sure. to the original community? Because right. there's some appropriation that they go, whatever. This is the way things evolve. But the thing also is like, I don't know any other words, you know, in, I don't know what is the appropriate. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're, you know? we're gonna. This is the thing. <laughs> no, that's a good point. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know, so why should I use that word? But well, anyway, point. my, my point was in putting this question up was to let other people think about it. Because it was something like, if I'm thinking about this, I bet other people are thinking about this too. <laughs> right. And I had some great commentary come out of that. Friends um, of that speak other languages that say like, you know, this is kind of appropriating. It's like when people use this word from the language that I'm that I know that they don't know or like, and then I had other people from Hawaii being like, well, I was born and raised here and I don't think it's a big deal. Then I had people that are like, my family's of Polynesian descent and I think it's inappropriate. And then through that, there was a, a ton of great dialogue from people I couldn't get into a room otherwise together. Yeah. You know? Okay. Like it's sort of like this meeting room. But then of course, as happens, some fucking dude comes into the conversation and goes, if you have to ask that question, you should probably already know the answer. And I was like, if you have to come in here and say that, then you are a missing the whole point right. and B you're trying to shut people's conversation down because yeah. it's boring to you. And that's extremely privileged. And I was just like, you're missing the point like this to me. I, yeah, you're right. I could have figured that out on my own or I could bring it to a conversation area where I will hear from voices. I would never hear from otherwise. I could Google this all day right. and I will never find these people to give me their personal story. And fuck, maybe we all learned something like together. This, <laughs> this isn't something <laughs> you know? that I would have thought of, but no. I come across it and I go, Oh shit. And what, then you what's think going twice. Right. You know, and then everybody that's getting a tattoo in another language might think twice about it, <laughs> right. which would be wonderful if we did more of that. <laughs> that would so. be something. <laughs> and you know, like you, you're going to do what you're going to do, but if you're thinking about it in a new way and you're being intentional and you're not just sort of accidentally being a dickhead. Right. I, a- ask I think- a question. Like, be, I don't know. That's what I think. That's what social media is for. Yeah. People forget that. Yeah. They forget like social media. Before it was social media, it was just being online. <laughs> right. It was not cool to be online. Like, right. It wasn't like so a whole you know. industry. No. Yeah. And so now we have this incredible ability to connect with humans all over the world. So why not take advantage of that in a positive way by asking a question and letting the people it is actually affected by answer that? Yeah. And I ended up from that whole conversation, I learned, you know what? I'm not going to get this tattoo. 
I'm going to move on and do something else. It meant something to me and I will still forever love that song and enjoy singing it because I don't believe that it was written out of <laughs> right, anything, any malice. but I'm, I don't need to wear it on my body hmm. because it's, it's not, frankly, it's just not appropriate. And it came from a well-reasoned place, it sounds like. So, I mean, that's, that's a victory and it's, it's you just sort of being intentional as much as you can. Yeah. With- and again, falling down in front of other people so they <laughs> right. can, so they can learn the same lesson that I learned. Cause not everybody is, I understand that I'm able to do what I do partially because I'm this like, I'm like a very average looking white woman that navigates society pretty easily. Uh, I understand my, I, I, f- I'm not fully an understanding of my privilege as it's something that's a never ending lesson, but right. I, I fully understand. Um, I'm an articulate, educated person that has a platform. So why not use it to be human enough to let other people, you know, who wouldn't ever say something online or wouldn't ever post a picture of themselves doing whatever online. But I do cause I, I can do it and I, but I've created a space to do it too. Well, sure. And the thing that I've learned about social media is anything that you, that anyone chooses to post, uh, is, and this can be interpreted the wrong way, but is in some way a gift because there are so many people who use social media just to look and just to gawk and just to just sort of silently judge and look. Mm -hmm. What allows them to do that is the people who actually do post. Oh yeah. And we provide enter- endless entertainment. Right. But at the same time, I know that person that's only a voyeur and is only looking is, is judging for sure. Sure. But also is like, uh, may, maybe understanding the world a little better. Hopefully they may just be judging me. I don't care, yeah. but you know, <laughs> gives a shit. but they may be seeing something that they wouldn't be seeing otherwise. Right. Hopefully. So another thing I'm interested in is journalism is incredibly important. Yes. And it's one of the things that we all, I mean, we're all consuming content all the time. All the time. I have a billion different platforms now. I just recently joined Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. I, which, I will not do it. I'm, t- I'm like, I'm too old for this shit. The thing is though, I have like, I have a daughter now and I have another daughter on the way and I don't want to be that dipshit father <sighs> who doesn't know who, who doesn't like understand the platforms and refuses to learn. Well, and also it's good for you from a safety perspective. Absolutely. So you will know what your kids are up to. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a victim of my own laziness and my own apathy. Sure. So I go, fuck it. Like I have no, like I have no interest in doing anything on Snapchat myself, but I go, but you go and look. I'm going to try it. Sure. The only thing I ended up doing on it so far was there's like feeds from Vice and Wall Street Journal and yeah. MTV and Comedy Central and all this <laughs> right? shit. And I, I'm like, I go, okay, so I'm using this like Twitter where it's just a content stream where I can find new things. Yeah. The thing that's crazy to me is we're all consuming more content than we ever have. Yeah. And like no one's getting paid for it. No. Which is nuts. It is. Uh, so <laughs> a, as someone who is in that world, oh, is like how tough is it? It's brutal. It's brutal. Are you kidding me? I make $10,000 a year. Yikes. <laughs> but. Like uh, from journalism? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. And God, you, you do a lot of work. Too. I do. I do. The current publication that I work for the most is not the highest paid of sure. any gig I've ever had. But again, there's always pluses and minuses. Yeah. Uh, 
and I, I, I'm always having an existential crisis about, <laughs> is this the thing I should be doing? Right. But there are trade-offs. I mean, I do get, don't get paid very much, but I do get to go to any show I want, any, and this is part of my job is yeah. to go to concerts and go to comedy events and go to new thing, new open. I mean, I go to the first opening of whatever the new exhibit is at the Denver Art Museum. I get, to be one of those people that sees it first and I don't take that for granted and it's partially why I feel that I can speak so much for my city is yeah. I spend a lot of time in my city wandering around checking stuff out and then writing about it but it is hard to articulate how much people don't value my work hmm. and people like me's work like we don't right. make I don't make a lot of money and I create a lot of conversation and I do a lot of promotion for people yeah. in terms of, I'm not a PR person. This is a hard thing for a lot of artists to understand the difference <laughs> between PR and journalism. Right. I'm not a PR person. So don't tell me, don't send me an email telling me that I need to cover your show. Yeah. That's like the worst way to approach a music journalist or critic or whatever. Um, and I work in PR. <laughs> so you know that there's a fundamental difference. So, and it, you know, it's one of those things where you look at the entirety of the profession. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is true. My wife's a realtor. Most realtors are fucking terrible. Oh my God. And, I have so many conspiracy theories about real estate. <laughs> and, and they're so fucking stupid and so bad at their jobs. Yeah. Roughly 80% of anyone in any given profession is mediocre to terrible. At it. <laughs> right. And so when <laughs> I always hear stories like, uh, Jason Heller, who I, my, he is my, he is the reason that I am making money as a writer. He's amazing. Single handedly. He's my mentor. Really? What do you mean? Like he's, he has been my friend since my early twenties. I knew him as a musician before I knew yeah. him. I have a um, crestfallen record upstairs. Yeah, he used to, I remember seeing him at the grocery store once and my boyfriend at the time when I was like, I was just out of high school. He was like, that's Jason from crestfallen. And like <laughs> later on, he becomes my friend. He sort of, um, sought me out as a writer. I don't remember how, and then started throwing me opportunities and giving me free advice. That's and, so awesome. Uh, helping me to fully understand that I could do what I do for a living and push me to do it. And, uh, yeah, he's the sole, human reason i am where i am today and so i try to do what he did for me for yeah. other writers for sure but yeah, yeah that's he's, that's so fucking great he and he's one of the best pop culture writers ever and yeah. he happens to be my friend yeah and he and my mentor <laughs> and he happens to live in this city yeah and he is the very first person i cold called without knowing and asked to be on the show and he was. Oh no way! So yeah, he was episode sixteen. He's. I'll have to listen um, to it. He's great. Yeah, he. It was. It was a great show, and <sighs> one I'm very proud of. One of the things that he does that I really like is uh, it's like bad press release theater. Oh, I love it. Oh God. He stopped. He he dropped his Facebook, so we don't it get it. Really as upset much. me. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> just just from a personal enjoyment perspective. Oh, like, I loved it. He can do what he wants, I obviously. But like, I miss his Facebook page. Me too. So. Me too. Cause he, so he, so the bad press releases is he would share a paragraph from a press yeah. release. And this is like such a hard thing. You're in PR too. So you know the other side of it. I know plenty of people that are incredible PR people. Right. 
And then I know people that are incredibly terrible PR people. Oh, yeah. But it's the same thing with writing. I know people that are incredible writers. And then I know people that I can't believe have space to say the things that they say. Yeah, how do you get column inches? Right? You know? (laughs) Like, for me, I created my column under the radar when we were in this, like, transitional period at Westward where they were creating the arts section online, basically. Okay. And, um... My editor and dear friend, Jeff Audi, who's not an editor anymore, was was sort of running this show without any direction. I mean, not direction, but they were figuring it out. And I was one of his writers and he was just like, I don't care what you write about. Just give me something every day because I need content. And, And that's how a lot of it works. But what I did was I ended up creating a column called Briality Bites about my life. And it has been running now for six years or something online every week. And I get to write about whatever I want. And it is invaluable to me that it exists. But I kind of snuck it in there. And it's, I don't know, being a writer on the internet is very difficult because some days I feel like it's all going to disappear and it doesn't matter. I've lost so much work. I mean, I worked, I used to work for the AV club. Um, Again, Jason Heller was my editor. Um, at one point and, uh, they had an, an office here in Denver. And then when they closed all the AV club satellite offices, we basically lost everything that we had written. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So writers on the internet, please have a place where you can catalog every single thing that you care about you've ever written because I haven't. And I've literally written thousands of pieces that are probably gone. I, I started in 2008, a daily humor blog with two of my friends. And it was called CrewJonesSociety.com. And it, it never really took off the way I wanted it to. But the thing is, I keep renewing the domain and the hosting every year just because <laughs> sure. I want it to be there. Because you have it, yeah. Like, and occasionally I'll go back and look at those pieces. And I you know, I think to myself, I'm like and, – and some of the comments underneath because it became almost like this social network for a bunch of my friends where sure. they would comment and we'd all talk to each other. Absolutely. And the thought of losing that just makes me want to have a fucking panic attack. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. Well, cause it's a part, it's a part of your life and it's, uh, it's interesting cause I'm sure you look back and sometimes you're like, I can't believe I wrote that. Yeah. This is- I have that thought and I wrote something a month ago. Right. I'm like, I can't believe I wrote that. Oh my God. I'm so <laughs> embarrassed, you know, but it's there, Yeah. but I don't know how long it's going to be there. So, <laughs> okay. Let me ask you a writer question. Yes. When I was writing, I remember thinking I got like three months into it and we were updating. I was writing like three columns a week which was insane at the time. I hit a wall and I remember thinking, I'm like, I have exhausted every insight I'm ever going to oh, have. God. How do you get over the wall? I don't know. It happens. It happened to me this week, actually. I think yeah? I tweeted like my brain. I like really missed some deadlines and I was like, <laughs> I can't write anymore. Yeah. But it's like this. I always feel so full of myself when I talk about this, but it is this thing inside me that has always been there. I have been writing since I was four years old. I don't know how to not (laughs) do it, but sometimes it stops and you just have to let it stop. Um, It's hard when it's your job. Yeah. um, Because you can, because you know, there's writing I can do that is work. And then there's writing that I can do that is passion. And sometimes passion and work come together and sometimes they don't. So yeah, I don't know other than give yourself a break. I think that's the thing is, um, don't beat yourself up. Yeah. If you can't write or create for a moment, 
Um, it's the only, I've, I've played music before. Um, it's not quite the same because that I have to do with other people. I'm yeah, not good right. at doing it by myself. Um, but with writing, it is the thing that I do alone all the time. Okay. It's how I think about the world. It's what I do. And most of the time, if I do come to that point where I'm like, I can't do it anymore, I try to give myself a day at least. Mm. I have to do it for a living so I don't get a lot of time to stop. Sure, right. But I will be like straight up, if this is not a timely story, I'll, I'll ask my editors like, I need a day extension because I literally can't make this come out of my mouth right now. Right. You know? Or out of my fingers. Or out of my fingers. Just can't like, it just will not, will not process. So but what I do, the type of PR that I do is pretty writing heavy. Like I'll do a lot of draft, like op-eds and talking points and, you know, prepping people for radio and editing presentations. And I'm generating a lot of raw material. And I remember I was sitting there, there was this Friday night and I was sitting there and I had to write different drafts of the same letter. Like, which was, I don't know how you do that. It's, it's a weird thing to do. And, and it's a skill I've acquired through. Sure. I, I'll explain it to you maybe when we're off the air. But, <laughs> but the thing about it was I was sitting there and I go, what, like, what else is there to say? And there was like a word or a phrase or a sentence that popped in my head that was something different. And it gave me just like this one little hook and I go, okay, I can build around it. this. Yeah. Um, because when you're writing, there's like, there's a nut of what you're doing mm -hmm. and you can f kind of fill in the rest. The The rest isn't what really matters. What it's matters that one is, thought. Yeah. Is like that thing that everything you're else springs from. Right. And once I got that, I go, okay. And I banged out another letter. It's funny because, um, that's when uh, I call writing, when I say writing feels like math. There's oh, these points yeah. where I'm like, I just need the piece that goes into this piece that will connect it and create, help me create the next words. Like it feels like a math assignment. It feels like some sort of like, yeah, it's like a big equation. Yeah. That I can't figure out. And yeah. then once I figure it out and then I could just get running on it again. But, um, it is, it is very, it's why I've never done technical writing. I've done a little bit of copywriting. I've done a very little bit of like industry focused marketing writing. I, it's not it's something I can't do. Okay. I have to care a little bit about it. Right. To do it. And which is why I know that being a PR person is incredibly difficult because you have to make something sound amazing to someone who has no context for it. Right. Which can be impossible because as we all know, people will ignore things until 20 people tell them it's good <laughs> or the right source says it's good. Well, the thing is like, I, I remember I used to work for a PR firm. And we had some junior people on our staff. Not that, I mean, not that I'm like some fucking old hand at this, but I actually had experience with media pitching. And media pitching is kind of a strange thing because it's like, hey, you should be interested in this. And it, it's all about finding more out about the reporter and targeting your pitches mm. really, yep. like really, yeah, really tailor it to your audience. Right. Get to the why for them. Sure. So you need number one, a high degree of empathy. And number two, you got to do a lot of research. Yep. And if you do that and I, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but media people were like, I love when I get pitches from you because I know that they're not going to be bullshit. And, yeah. And it's not some astroturf like thing that you've blasted out to 10,000 people. Absolutely. And yeah. That's a, that is a definitely a skill and it is invaluable. And, but you bring a great point into it, which is, Regardless of who you are or why you're trying to, whether you're a PR person or you're in a band and you're trying to get your music to a music critic or you're a new business and you're trying to let people know about it and you want to do it through a reporter, research is so key. Like, don't, I get hit up so <laughs> randomly about like, you should care about this thing I'm doing. 
And I'm like, I pick and choose what I care about. I mean, it's it's very clear that if I care about something, I don't write about shit I don't care about. Clearly. I really, even like, I try to be very broad when it comes to music coverage in Denver because it's very easy to write about the thing that's in front of you that's your friends. Sure, yeah. Um, so I do, I've written about bands that I wouldn't necessarily go and see, but then I saw them once and I was engaged by their performance or it may not even be my thing right it might not even be the the kind of music i like but i was interested and inspired by something that i saw or i heard and i thought i think other people should know about this so when it's funny uh, i have a social media following to a certain extent that i've created but i've created it 100 percent completely on being myself Hmm. so i have people send me like hey you have a wide social network. Can you send out a message about my new Kickstarter? And I'm like, yeah, let me help you. Yeah. No, actually I can't <laughs> unless you come to me and you say, Hey, I have a Kickstarter for this um, program that I'm creating. That's going to help these people do this. And I just wanted to let you know about it because um, it means a lot to me. And uh, I think people, your readers might be interested. That's a way better approach. Right. I might not necessarily write about it, but I may also send it on to, the pool of freelancers that I know that says, Hey, if somebody is interested in this, this seems pretty cool. It's just not at my alley. Yeah, yeah. But I genuinely do not put a lot of energy into writing about things and people that I don't have at least a little bit of interest in as a person or, or where they haven't compelled you in a real way. Right. Where it's, it's like, e- even when I asked you to be on this show, I remember I, I was, I think it was through a Facebook message. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, I remember when I was writing it, I, I'm like, okay, why should this show matter to her? Like, why would you want to take an hour? Why would you want to come across town, sit down with my basement and talk to me? And I made sure to put that in what I wrote you. Right. Absolutely. It's like, it, and I know enough in, in doing business because I used to be on the corporate side. So I, I, I got hit up. Part of what I did was our charitable giving portfolio. Oh, wow. So I got hit up all the time by every nonprofit in town. Yeah. And the ones that were successful looked at my company, looked at what we did, looked at what we were trying to do and said, hey, here's where I think we can fit in. And here's where I think you'll get some value out of this. Not just, we have a great program. Here's the secret that they they either realize or don't. Mm-hmm. They're all fucking great programs. Yeah. Like, they all have value. But they're not all going to be a fit for the company that I worked for. Right. So it's like... We're not free. You know, it's like we're not a machine. Exactly. Even if we're a company, we have a a vision and a mission. Yes, exactly. And for you, you know, you are a very prolific writer. You you have uh, a substantial social media following. Why does this matter to you? Why is this something you should care about? Why is this something... That, that you would want to write about or to share with the world. Right, because people And that's trust what people are my, missing. People trust my opinion or they look to my opinion. I mean, I have so many friends that are like, I need to ask you about this part of the election because I don't know how to feel until you tell me what you think. Right. You know, and it's because I, I know it's because I have a really, I've honed in on this ability to take an in information, process it, and then spit it out into something right. that other people can understand. And, uh, yeah, my social media following is none of it is inauthentic. None of it is inorganic. I did right. not grow. Like I've been on Twitter technically since 2007. They like fucked up my old account. So now it says that 2008 is when I joined, but I was there <laughs> in 2007. Fuckers. <laughs> you know, I know. Like damn it. But what I've 
cultivated and created through Twitter is 100% organic. I don't buy followers. I don't follow and unfollow yeah. people incessantly. There's all these weird strategies to social media. And I'll tell you, the most effective strategy in social media is be yourself. Yeah. Do not be like... I my I have a great friend who's a writer and all around. She does so many things, but her name is Rue Johnson, and she runs a, pro, a sort of multi marketing production events company called Rue Black. And her Facebook is insane. It's amazing. You think that I share with the world? Right. She will tell you the most intimate details of her life in the same paragraph where she's promoting a hip hop show she put together that oh, night. Wow. It's genius but the thing is it's not contrived it's real this is just who she is yeah i know that she she's like me she retreats at home and has a a different sort of a person that is the home person that is the people that your 10 friends and your family see but her outside personality and persona as this entertainment entity is based on herself sure and she is genius at the personal public and why people listen to her and people follow her. And that's, again, it's, I accept anyone on Facebook as my friend. Wow. Which sucks. Yeah. And also <laughs> it's great because I've met some incredible people that way, but it also creates this weird environment where people feel that they can say whatever they want because they're right. not my friend, which is not true. No, that's definitely not true. I police my threads. I delete people. I delete comments. I am not afraid to do that. This is my arena. Sure. However, you are more than welcome to be a part of this arena because I bring authenticity to the table and I expect everybody else to do the same. Wow. That's that's a good philosophy. A personal pet peeve I have on Twitter is I'll get followed by someone Uh and I'll follow back people because I'm not arrogant enough to know always what I'm going to be interested in. Sure. So if if they follow me, I'll follow them back and go, Hey, what are you about? What are you doing? This might be interesting to me. Sure. What I hate is when, when they get the follow back, then they unfollow me. Yeah, and that's like, it's a game. Yeah, and And I understand. I unfollow them, like, as soon as I see them do that, I unfollow them too, because I go, okay, well, you're just here to like- To collect. Yeah, to raise your numbers. Right. And you know what? Your numbers, like, don't mean anything if there aren't people behind it. Yeah. It's like when I see people who have like, who are local, like, media people, and they have 28,000 followers, and they follow 3,000 people, I'm like- I, I watch your interactions all day. There is no way you have 28,000 followers. Right. Why? You know why? I get, I'll get 15 favorites on a tweet and I have 3,000 friends. Right. Yeah. You don't get 15. And I'm, this is like sounds so nerdy and stupid, but at the core of it, what it is about is why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. I'm on Twitter to promote myself. No joke. Of course. Yeah. But I'm also on Twitter to learn. I'm, it's where I've learned so much about, Black Lives Matter and um, transgender issues and issues facing people who English isn't their first language. I mean, th- I am exposed to an incredible amount of voices yeah. on Twitter and it has changed my entire perspective on the world. And that's what it should be about. I'm not a company. I'm, I'm like, right, I certainly yeah. don't make money <laughs> off of, t- I wish I made money off Twitter. I'd be rich because I'm on Twitter all day, <laughs> right. but it is. Social media, if you're to have a, so effect, an effective social media campaign and you are not already a famous person, you have to be real. Yeah. You can't buy anything. We could be here all day if, yes. if, if we, <laughs> if we wanted to talk about, uh, transgender stuff. Sure. Because my, my wife wrote her thesis about, um, 
I, largely, it, it was based around this movie called Better Than Chocolate. Is like at this point now more than a decade old, but there was a transgender character in it. Mm. So she she spent a lot of time writing about her. Wow! And she got really deep into it. We were both in grad school. That's where we met. And so I was like a decade ahead of this public discussion where I I go, what are yeah. you sharing with me about gender reassignment surgery? And it's it's just what we talked about. And now it's it's sort You're of seeing the shift. Yeah, socially, it's incredible. Yeah, and it's. It's amazing. It's like it's a huge it's new amazing. civil rights front. Absolutely. That has been been on the just under the surface for a very, yeah. very, very long time. I mean, it was one of the crucial one of the biggest moments that is always talked about when we talk about LGBTQ history is the Stonewall riots in 1969, right. which are by no means the only thing. But what I find interesting about that is there was a movie just put out recently about the Stonewall riots that's very controversial because they've whitened and uh, regendered the main character to be this mm. um, attractive cisgendered gay man as like the, the end, you know, the, the main character. But in reality, the main character was this wonderful transgender woman. Right. That was the real history of it. So even we're just now <laughs> right. talking about people that have been doing radical work for as long as humans have been around. Right. But it is, um, as much as there is great social commentary and coming around gender, it is still an extremely dangerous world for transgender people. And I, and I can't speak for it. I cannot speak for the transgender community well, in no, any capacity, but, but what I see is violence towards transgender people is, I think it's one of the highest groups that are sexually assaulted, murdered. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, so that's why it's so important that we, not undermine the the cause by saying like we're there <laughs> we started talking about it so it's good like no man yeah, we have everything. so much yeah. work to do well you know i i think about <clears throat> one of my favorite albums of the last few years was transgender dysphoria blues by against me right amazing album and Laura jane grace is an incredible she's a hero and well and for her to be in the position that she's in in an extremely male dominated extremely masculine yeah. art form um and to come around and also from the side of being this very traditionally, traditionally handsome punk dude at yeah. one point to becoming herself in the public eye in the way that yeah. she did. That's huge it's and amazing. terrifying. Yeah. And amazing. Like we, I think I always, I think when I look at things like social movements and things like that and, and people like Laura Jane Grace, what I always try to think about is how would 14 year old me Look at this. 14 year old me would have lost her mind. She would have been so excited mm -hmm. to see this person. Huh. Um, it just like at 14, I was excited about everything. And it's when I was learning about what I was passionate about, which was women's issues and LGBTQ issues. And, and to see what I see now in the world, I'm like so excited and teenage. That's why teenagers are like the coolest people <laughs> in the world. They're exploring themselves. And that being a teenager at this time, people are always like, Oh, it must be, it must be so hard. Social media makes it so intense, but at the same time, it must be so great to have these platforms as a teenager to like yeah. explore yourself and, and tell other people your story. Yeah. And Lord Jane Grace is an incredible human being that I'm so happy that we have in the world of yeah, me traditionally masculine, aggressive punk rock. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. It's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, one last thing I know yes. I, we're, we've gone past an hour. Oh gosh! But that's all right. That's true. I have to text my little sister. Okay. Excuse me. Are you? I'm I'm Kosh. Okay. <laughs> She's like, where are you? She tracks me. She has an oh, app. Oh, funny. 
It's so creepy. Uh, what are you doing in that part of town? I know. She does. She's like, why are you over by blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey. <laughs> You're like, hey. Living hey, my hey. life. Yeah. Hey, doing my thing here. <laughs> doing my thing. We uh, we kind of veered off where I was going. But, oh, yeah. But that's okay. Sorry. Journalism is tough because no one seems to be making money from it anymore. I mean, the erosion of, ad- of advertising revenues is tough. What makes it doubly tough, especially in this era of social media and how easy it is to share things, is the plagiarism thing. Oh, yeah. and All the time. I know that's something that you deal with very pointedly. Oh, God. I hate it. First of all, to say that, I fucking hate it. It makes me so mad, especially considering we make hardly any money as it is. And I want to preface this by saying there is no money in journalism, but that doesn't mean you should not pursue it. Right. <laughs> Please pursue it. We need your voice. Whoever you are, we, we definitely need to hear from you. Um, but yeah, so I think you're probably talking a little bit about, there's this website here called I'm from Denver. I, yes, I was, which met, is, I was referencing them yes. obliquely. So a personal request from me to you, who's li- whoever is listening, please do not share stories from I'mfromdenver.com. I'm from Denver is one of uh, many websites that steals articles and reposts them with no money. attribution. No attribution. No, we don't. I don't get any kickback. I don't even get credit. My byline's not even on there when they steal my stories, and then they make money off of it through their advertising. Hmm. So it's like they're capitalizing with I'm from Denver in particular, they're capitalizing on readers' desire for nostalgia about Colorado and for um, pride in Colorado, which I get. I write about those two things a lot. But I'm from Denver knows that you care about the seven best green chilies <laughs> in Denver. So you're going to share their story and you're not even going to think twice about what it is or where it comes from. Right. And that is where it is on you as a reader to be more proactive in what you choose to share with the world. I mean, I understand that I approach social media in a different way than a lot of people because it's part of my business plan. Right. But at the same time, where I share information from is so crucial to the character of me, like my personal character of how I am and what a person I am and how I try to be good in the world. Part of that is not sharing information from crappy websites. It's not sharing fake and false. I don't share memes. People would assume I share memes. I share them if I'm joking, like this is ridiculous and I do it on Twitter, but I never would share a meme on Facebook. Why? Because most memes are full of false information. And to me, they make you look stupid. (laughs) And then I start judging people like, why are you posting this? It's making me question your character because you've just posted a meme that says you think all welfare recipients should receive drug tests. Like, uh, well, if you want to condense an extremely volatile social issue into a picture of a pea cup with some letters on it, why would I trust you to vote? Or like, what do you think about? Like, think about what you post on social media. I'm not talking about oversharing. I don't care. I mean, it's one thing if you're going to share about how sick you are all the time and the next cold that you got and how much you hate your job and blah, blah, blah. That all affects us too. That affects how we see you. But just think twice before you share garbage. Well, it's like we talked about. It's like be intentional. Yes. You know, you don't have to share 20 things a day. Right. Pick three that are awesome. And that, that matter to you. That matter to you. That come from a place that's good. Like, yeah. that don't come from boardpanda.com or whatever. <laughs> right. You know? It's like, a, it, it reminds me of uh, something uh, George used to say all the time on Seinfeld, which is, we're trying to have a society here. <laughs> you're right. You're <laughs> like, right. For fuck's which sake. Would, we are. And like, I 
want to hear from you. I want to know what makes you tick and what makes you interesting and where you're coming from and the things you're involved in and interested in. Like you're on my social media, just like I'm on your social media. Yeah. But what are you sharing? Share something cool. Like yeah. I'm, I'm now I'm judging you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That everyone is. I'm just telling you right now. I even wrote a, actually, what's really funny, and I'll send this to you. I wrote a story about this a couple months ago, um, based on, God, what was it? Oh, it was the beginning of fall. And I was already seeing those pumpkin spice. Everybody loves pumpkin spice. I'm so tired of pumpkin spice. And I'm like, this is the hill you're going to die on. <laughs> you're so mad that people love pumpkin spice. And so I wrote a story about thinking about what you share and how it, it makes the rest of us right. judge you. I had a person that I thought was my friend for the last decade send me a crazy long email about how my my story was clearly about her. And <laughs> she can't believe that I would personally attack her in a veiled insult in an article. And I was like, oh, that my you would God. use a whole article just to personally like, attack her. Yeah. And I'm like, a, a, you're my friend. And B, I don't do that. Anytime I talk about social media in the grand scheme, I never use specific examples of what I see in my feed. I do not because right. I'm not trying to alienate anyone. Right, right. So, yeah. So I lost a friend to uh, to telling people to stop being so dumb on Facebook. <laughs> getting pissed off about pumpkin spice. Yeah. Like, who cares? This is not a thing. Like, I don't care how much you don't give a fuck about football. You know what? I don't either. But you know what? I don't care about how much you love The Walking Dead. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not posting about it. Yeah, yeah, God, no kidding. Like, oh, enough Oscars for enough Oscar Oscars posts. I don't care about the Oscars. I'm like, I don't care that you don't care about the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, well, let people be excited for one day. <laughs> yeah, pe- people can like what they like. Right. Like, it just yeah, I, I'm with if you. If you don't like what they like, then don't say anything. Yeah, or you know what, people are like. The the common argument that I always hear is like, ugh, I'm not going to get on Twitter. What do I want to hear about pe- <laughs> about people who, what, what they've had for lunch every day? And it's like, if you don't want to follow people, if if you don't want to hear about what people are having for lunch, follow better fucking people, right? Like you're the curator of your own feed. Absolutely. Like hide the people you don't want to see. Get a better feed, right? Like it, this is entirely unless you get great joy out of this, which you clearly do because you've posted right. about how angry it makes you. <laughs> you know. But right. yeah, tw- I mean, I love Twitter and I think I'm such an... I love oh, Twitter too. I'm an elitist about it. I'm like, yeah, you don't get Twitter. That's fine. That's where I get all my news. That's where news breaks. So <laughs> sure isn't breaking on Facebook. Uh, no. And and I love, I also love weird Twitter. <laughs> like weird Twitter is so... <laughs> it, there's so much nuance in Twitter yeah. as any social network that if you are not... I'm on it all the time. I see and understand so much that the average Twitter user doesn't because they're not watching. It's like this weird cultural ex- experiment. Right. Twitter you know? to me is almost like I used to play racquetball, which <laughs> sounds like I'm an 80s executive or something. But uh, but I used to play it. There was we had a court like right by my house growing up. And so me and some friends used to play it. And when you play racquetball, you learn really weird ways to get creative in a very small space. You know, there's there's a lot of different shots and you have to really adapt your thinking to the confines of the environment. Twitter's like the exact same way. Yeah. Twitter's like the Jaxie. That's okay. Okay. Um he's been sleeping next to you this whole time. I know and I woke him up. Okay. 
He's like, hey, don't wake me up. I'm a cat. I got to get my 20 hours in. <laughs> but Twitter is like you have such constraints on the space. Yeah. That I love it. People have done so much unusual shit with it. I love it. That you go, wow. I, it's what I love, the 140 characters. Granted, I abuse that by linking together 40 tweets to have one conversation. But (laughs) it's also when I am trying to construct a tweet. And like, when I say construct a tweet, it sounds like I, it's not, it's not well, it's like in terms of like how I'm going to make this into 140 characters. It's not that I'm making something up. I don't have joke. I hate comedians on Twitter that right. test their crappy jokes. <laughs> like, like shitty one-liners. Yeah. Like don't do that. Just be yourself. Right. And by the nature of you being yourself, I will figure out that you are funny and I would right. actually like to come see you instead of being the fucking wall that you throw your like henny tr- youngman shitty like, yeah your shitty jokes too and they try to stick like Ugh. right like you're up in the poconos like yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, take my wife right, please right no i agree with you on on that front my favorite thing that happened on twitter in the last couple of months was uh dave holmes telling that story about he got a call on his cell phone and it was the laziest fucking scam ever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember this? Yeah. And it's like it was like forty five tweets just <laughs> right in a row of him I telling loved, this. Story. I love Twitter like so, stories. That and and that whole story was just amazing the way he fucked with these people who were trying to like get money from him. Oh my god. And that's where Twitter can be really incredible. There's there was a journalist last year that wrote a whole story about how he quit Spin magazine in a series of tweets. There was a, gosh, what was that woman's name? There's like, uh, this, the ballad of Zola or something. And she told this crazy, it was this woman that was like a sex worker that told this crazy story about going to Florida and then this dude getting shot. And like, in, into me, it was like pure, t- pure drama and like the right. best sense. But Twitter was this great platform for this person to create the story, whether it was real or not. I don't know, but I enjoyed the <laughs> shit out of it. Like I, that's what I love about Twitter is the confines of, it's not like Facebook. Yeah. Facebook, you have to, Facebook, you, people put so much on Facebook. Yeah. That there's no editor. It's like Twitter's your natural editor. Interesting. And everyone needs an editor. Everyone. Everyone needs an editor. Good yeah. writers have great editors. Yeah. Agreed you know? 100%. Well, hey, I'll tell you what, we're, we're at like an hour 15, oh so God. we need to wrap up. So, oh um, tell you what, this is, uh, this is when we do plugs, but you oh, know sure. what? When we go long here, that to me is, basically just uh, a byproduct of what I feel like has been a really interesting conversation. So I appreciate uh, like you. all the insight that you've given. And uh, it, I mean, this is the first time we've ever met. Yeah. So uh, it's been, it's been a pleasure getting to just chat with you face to face. Well, thanks for asking me on your show. Yeah, of course. So, okay. Uh, Plug your Twitter, obviously, yes. and plug okay. everything else anywhere <laughs> you, you can, want us to find you. Sure. You can find me. I'm on the internet all over as Coco Davies, C-O-C-O-D-A-V-I-E-S. It's Why me. is that? It's my... It's so long and it can, it's not confusing. Um, I... So my pen name is Davies and I legally changed it to okay. Davies in 2008. Um, that's not my given last name okay. and it is not my married last name. But when I went to change my name, I decided to add a second middle name because why not? Fun, I was going right? through, I had to get approval you, you through the, the FBI. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like changing your name's pretty, so I had to go in front of a judge. I had to post it in the newspaper. Like okay, yeah. it's a pretty serious, uh, process. But so I added Coco, um, after Coco Chanel, who I love, but I started just using it as a moniker online a little bit, partially for privacy initially on Facebook. Sure. Um, 
I'm Coco Davies on Facebook, so you can't just Google me and find me because like I've had some weird stuff on Facebook. But sure. Twitter is public, and that's different for me. Um, so yeah, so that's where Coco comes from. It's one of my middle names. Um, okay, cool. So you can find me on Twitter at Coco Davies. You can find me on Instagram, which is not very interesting unless you like architecture. And I take a lot of pictures of Denver architecture. And I have a website, BreeDavies.com, where you can find more of my work. And I have a wonderful podcast with my friend Issa Jones called Welcome to Rock Island. And you can Google Welcome to Rock Island or I think it's Welcome to Rock Island.com. We are a music industry focused podcast. And then um, I write every week. I have a column called Breality Bites and I write weekly online and in print for Westward, Denver's alt weekly since 1977. Nice. So that's a, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's a great amount of plugs. And I will plug all that in the companion blog piece that'll go up with this. Thank you. So Bree, this was enormous fun for me. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, this was great. So, uh, continued success to you and we'll see you around Denver. Thank you. And that'll do it for episode 93 of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you to Bree Davies for a great conversation. Like I said, we went long, but it didn't feel long, did it? I mean, good God, she's just fantastic. Find her online at Coco Davies. That is her online handle. She just gave it to you. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all great places to stay up with Bree's work. If you want to stay up on John of All Trades, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest. All four of those can be found at J-O-A-T-P-O-T. We're also syndicated on iTunes and available on Stitcher. Great platforms for staying up to date with every John of All Trades episode. There's been 96 episodes. They're all available there. While you're there, give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps us get more exposure. I don't know how. I will never understand how it works. But I'm told these things are good. So, iTunes, Stitcher, rating, review, subscribe, share it on the social media platforms, drive more people to John of All Trades. Next week is a brand new show. New episode previews are exclusively on Facebook. New episodes drop on Wednesday. So until I see you back here next week, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.